Right, we're, we're walking through the first week of Jesus' ministry. So we're, these are the first introductions that we get in John. Who is Jesus? What is he like? What does he come to do? And so everything that happens in chapter 1, we're going to get fleshed out a little bit more later in the book. But uh, let's, let's listen to God's Word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to him to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, I, I pray that as we come this morning, you would show us Jesus, uh, that we might hear his voice calling us to follow him. And as we respond to that uh, effectual call, Lord, that you would form us into faithful disciples who are willing and able to invite others to come and see Jesus for themselves. So may your spirit do that. Give us eyes to see Jesus, to grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. and put that back. Um, start this morning with a question, uh, why are you here? <laughs> uh, you know, to quote Jesus, what are you seeking? Right? That, that's, it's basically the question is, what do you want? What do you want from Jesus? What are you hoping he will do for you? Uh, these are, it's, it's an interesting question to ask. No matter what stage of discipleship you're at, whether you're investigating Jesus for the first time, you have questions, who are you? And you have expectations, but even you know, after 30, 40 years, 
We come to Jesus with all kinds of expectations and hopes. And so, what do you want? Right? Our passage this morning is going to teach us about discipleship, uh, what it looks like to submit to Jesus' call, uh, what it looks like to hear his voice, as he's going to say later in John, uh, what it looks like to turn your life and say, Jesus, you're now my king, uh, to, submit to, it, so to submit to him. And so let's talk about discipleship. What does it mean? And in, in our text this morning, we're going to see that disciples of Jesus are given this question, what do you want? Uh, they're get, given a, it's a command and an invitation at the same time uh, to come and see. And then we're going to end by looking at the promise, what, what, what will you see when you come? Um, so let's start with this question, uh, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. When you, you pick up this story here, uh, John is hanging out, John the Baptist, I should say, is hanging out with two, two disciples when Jesus walks by, and we get a brief of John's sermons, right? Behold the Lamb of God, which is an amazing act of humility, right? Where he basically is walking these guys down the aisle and handing them off to Jesus and say, you're with him now. You're not with me, <laughs> if we could put it that way, right? He's John the Baptist is willing to decrease his following so that Jesus might increase. It's, in, it's really important to see that kind of humility in a, in a leader, especially in our culture, where leaders, by their own work, uh, show off their pride more than their humility. Right? And so as John decreases, we have these two disciples who see Jesus, hear this testimony about who he is, and they start to follow him, and, and Jesus, being the gracious king that he is, initiates a conversation. What are you seeking? What do you want? Um, and so it's, it's a really good question. I mean, in, in, the basic, in the story, I think there's, there's layers, right? Jesus is having a conversation. What do you want? What do you want from me? And so we can ask ourselves that same question. Um, when you came to church this morning, what were you expecting to happen? What are you hoping Jesus would do for you? I mean, some of us come for, for self-improvement, right? We want to fail less than we have lately. <laughs> um, some of us are walking around with, with guilt, don't feel good enough. Uh, you know, shame is, is an, unfortunate, um, an unfortunate nag, something that, that pursues and haunts us. Or, or maybe you're here because of community, Right? Hope Church is a loving community. Uh, and so people come and they hang around Jesus because they find that if I come to church, people will like me. Uh, they'll, they'll befriend me. Or, or maybe you come for inspiration. Maybe you come just because something isn't well. You want Jesus to fix it. Um, but either way, we're seeking something when you come to Jesus. It's a really insightful question. Right? I mean, some of us are just trying to get God to bless us, um, to want him to improve our life. So, God, I'm here. You say go to church, I showed up. I did my duty. All right? And so what Jesus does here is he asks this question and, and, and turns around. He's, he's really after their motivation and to get to know them. All right? No one comes to Jesus with perfect motivation, so don't, don't hear me 
say you have to come to Jesus with the, perfect, the right reasons to, to get all of his blessings. That's not how that works. Jesus started the conversation. <laughs> no, but at some point, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus that, that takes Jesus seriously, you have to ask that question. What am I doing here? Am I, am I just a fan of Jesus hanging around? Or do I take discipleship seriously? Am I, am I dabbling or am I actually seeking? Am I looking after an idea or am I looking after a person who's going to invade my life and, and take over? Right? C.S. Lewis has this great quote where he says, there's a moment when children have been playing at burglars hush suddenly because they wonder, was that a real footstep in the hall? And so for, for everybody, there comes a moment when people who've been dabbling in religion, man's search for God, they suddenly draw back. Because what if we actually find him? We never meant it to actually come to that. We're still supposing he found us. And so Lewis goes on to say, becoming a disciple of Jesus is sort of a Rubicon. You either go across it or you don't. But if you go, you're going to be in, you're in for anything. Right? So that's, that's the question. Are, are you dabbling? Are you in? Are you uh, willing to be a disciple? Are you willing to be discipled by Jesus? I mean, it, it can haunt, it's a good question. What do you want? What are you seeking? It'll haunt you whether you've been here for decades or you're just starting. Are you ready to have Jesus sweep you into the life-changing current of what God is doing as he re- redeems the world, rescues the world, right? And so keep going in the story here. These guys are, say, what do you want? And they say, okay, Jesus, where are you staying? And there's probably layers to that as well, because Jesus is going to say, abide with me later. If you want to be with me, you need to abide with me and abide in my word, and, and I will abide with you. Um, it's the word stay, but they, they come and, Jesus, we want to hang out with you. We want to get to know you. Right? That's the posture of a learner, calling Jesus a rabbi. And, and so they, they go at, at notice they, it says it's at 4 o'clock. It's at the 10th hour. Showing you how, this is a historical detail here. This is um, it's the kind of details in John that you get where John's saying, no, this is eyewitness testimony. It's not just one person's mystical experience to say, no, we met, they hung out with Jesus at four o'clock on a particular day, right? And so what they do is they hang out with Jesus for a bit, and when it says they stayed with him that day, I'm assuming that that means they, they ate together. It was the beginning of this discipleship journey. Uh, they're, they're doing this hard work of saying, is Jesus the one whom we were told he is? the Lamb of God. And, and so, right, discipleship begins with that question. Come and see Jesus. Is he what everybody says he is? Is he who everyone says he is? Are they telling the truth? Right? And so that, that's the pattern that we have here is, is these first disciples are going to show up see Jesus, hear his call, follow me, and they're going to just start on that journey 
begin, begin that adventure, as, as C.S. Lewis says, right? Be ready for anything. They don't know what's ahead. <laughs> They're just starting. Um, do you have that kind of commitment? You're willing to go wherever he goes. Right. Let's shift gears for a minute. I think this will help. Um, because when you get to the end of our, our text, when Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, he's referring to the story that Bill read for us. He's talking about, the, about Jacob and Jacob's ladder. Um, let's look at Jacob as a, as a disciple. Right? Because when I, when I, usually when you preach sermons on the first disciples, it's like, look at these guys. They met Jesus. He said, follow me. And they gave up everything, rearranged their whole life, and therefore you ought to do the same. And, and there's, there's truth to that. Um, Jesus interrupts your flow of life by design. He's calling you to submit to him as your king, as the rightful king. But what, when you get to know Jacob, he's a much more, we get a lot more about his humanity in Genesis. So why don't you turn back to Genesis 28 with me? We're going to look at this for a minute. You're going to need your finger in John and, and Genesis 28 this morning. All right, what I love about Jacob is even though this is an old story, I, there's very few characters in the Old Testament that feel like um, he's very modern. He has modern, modern troubles. Uh, he's, he's a lot like us, right? And when we pick up the story in Genesis 28, Jacob has already, already lied, deceived, and cheated his brother out of the, both the birthright and the blessing, right? And so when you get to chapter 28, Jacob has been kicked out of the house, or he's running for his life, actually. He's running from his angry brother. He's all alone in the desert wilderness. His life is a mess by his own making and design, <laughs> by his own scheming, by his own deceit, um, if you want to understand what Jacob is like, that's what his name means. Jacob is heel grabber. Here's someone who's clawing and climbing to get to the top, to improve, uh, to get what's, what he sees as the best. Right? And he's willing to do whatever it takes to get there, regardless of the harm it cause, causes. Right? He's, he's trying to climb the ladder of life to get a blessing. And so if you're talking to Jacob... In chapter 28, Jacob, what do, you, what do you want from God? You know what I think he would say, based on the way the story is told? I want my father to love me. I want him to smile at me. Esau has been my dad's favorite my whole life. I want to be in my father's house again at peace. He's gonna, he says at the end. Right? Oh, thank you. We know that because that's, what, it, that's why, what he was swindling for, right? He was, uh, he was working his way, trying, to, he, he put on goat's hair to pretend to be hairy like his brother to deceive his blind dad, right? This is not somebody you, um, you give your bank account details to. <laughs> and yet, Jacob tends to be a much more relatable disciple because he feels an awful lot like us, where I'm willing to do what it takes to get what I want. 
And often that involves deceiving, lying, manipulating, pretending like I'm better than I am, clawing and climbing the way to the top. Right? When we come to Jesus, when we come to the God of the Bible, we bring patterns, we bring habits, we bring desires that have left us a mess, that, that, that leaves us needing grace, uh, that we need changed. And what's fascinating is Jacob, who will be later named Israel, Israel becomes God's people, right? The name for, for the corporate people of God. And then when you get to the New Testament, it becomes another name for the church, right? That because Jacob is kind of like one of the founding fathers of the faith, he has a lot to teach us about being a disciple. Because I think he brings his humanity, his sinful humanity, right? He's coming, he's, he's going to have an interaction here in chapter 28 with God, bringing his active internal inclination to ruin things, to break promises, relationships, uh, to ruin his own well-being and that of others, to quote Francis Bufford, right? And so if, if I could sum up Jacob's life, um, as he's about to meet God, he's been running up and down an escalator, Right? He's, he's running and running and running and running. And when we meet him, right, the moment you stop, I picture more of like he tripped on the down escalator, and now he's at the bottom, alone in the desert. Right? Do, you, do, you, do you relate to Jacob at all? Running, feel like your life has been an attempt to run up a down escalator to get, get God to pay attention, to look at me? Bless me, fix me, fix my life, fix my troubles. All right, see, we're going to see this later in the disciples' behavior, um, but everybody, when they come, when they start their journey with God, brings their desire to be blessed by their own exhausting work when they start their journey. Right? And it's to that kind of person that God says to Jacob in chapter 28, Right, notice who spoke first. We don't get stories of Jacob pursuing God. This is God pursuing Jacob. Now God says, hey, I'm following you now. It's kind of the anti-follow me, right? God just shows up to Jacob and says, I'm following you now. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. I'm with you. I, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the earth. I will guard you. I will keep you. I will protect you. I will not leave you until I finished everything that I promised you. I am now your God. And here's Jacob. God is in this place. Right? He had this dream about the ladder. God, this is God's house. And he, his response is, if the Lord will bring me back to my father's house in peace, if he will fix the mess that I've made, <laughs> then the Lord shall be my God. He still has a lot to learn about the grace of God. Right? So if you were to ask Jacob, what does he want? I want my father's blessing. If you were to ask God what he wants for Jacob, what, is, what would God say? To be with you on earth, to give you grace, and to make you into a blessing for all of the nations. In other words, you're thinking about you, Jacob. I'm thinking about blessing you so that you might become a blessing. Right? It's going to heal some of his self-centeredness eventually. 
before he dies. It's going to take decades. Right? And so, flip that around then. We come to Jesus on the other side of the cross, or on the other side of, um, in the New Testament here. What questions are you bringing to Jesus? What mess are you bringing? You know, part of what I think Jacob helps us appreciate when we, we're going to hear this story and how Jesus talks about the latter is we all, as disciples, and even after we make that commitment to follow Jesus, feel like we're on running up a down escalator trying to get God's attention, trying to get his blessing, right? trying to get him to be with us. Right? And so we come, we hear this testimony about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've got to come and say, yeah, I've made a mess. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Teach me. Come and learn from the teacher. Come and see. So that, that's, that's the question. What do you want? Second point, what is the, the invitation? Right. It's both, we're back in John now. <clears throat> you know, come and see comes from Jesus, comes as a command. <laughs> come and you will see. Uh, from his followers uh, becomes an invitation. So part of what, after the question, what do you want as you're, you're getting and beholding Jesus for yourself, we get a beautiful pattern laid out for every disciple, right? We're being shown how to witness, or how the, how the Christian path of discipleship works, right? Andrew follows Jesus, stays with him, must have his uh, questions confirmed, and then he immediately goes to find and bring someone else to Jesus. And then Andrew says, hey, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ. And then Philip receives a call to follow Jesus, right? And Philip does the same thing. I'm going to go bear testimony to my friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel, here's the guy that Moses wrote about and promised that would write all things. Here's the one the prophets wrote about, right? In other words, what Nathaniel's saying is, here's the guy that the entire Bible is about. Here's the one that all of humanity has been waiting for. Right? And that moves, once Philip has that confirmed in his mind, he, he immediately starts to testify and says, Nathaniel, come and see. Right? And so part of what we're, we're seeing here is the way the early church grew and the way the church continues to grow is that when you, when you come and see Jesus, you can expect that as he answers your questions, there's going to be joy, delight, some kind of spark that says, I need to tell someone else about this. <laughs> but this guy's amazing. He's, he's changed me. I want them to have what I've received, that, I'm, that disciples of Jesus are sent out to testify so that others might come and hear Jesus' words. Right. You know, at, the, at the bare minimum, we would say today that, you know, where do you hear Jesus speak? Uh, in some ways in the scriptures, so you, you're trying to get people to read the scriptures, but also involves uh, coming to church. Right? None of these guys are learning about Jesus uh, on their own. They're, they're doing so in community. Right? But you want to grab them and say, come and hear 
the words of Jesus. He will help you. He has answers to your questions. He knows. He sees you when you don't see him. (laughs) That's Nathaniel's testimony. And so let's, let's learn from these guys. How did they bear witness? Right? And so what I love about Philip when he's, he's interacting with Nathaniel, it says, Here, we found the guy. We found Jesus, the one whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nazareth being um, the honest person that he is, says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> right? You can hear the arrogance for tiny Nazareth. Um, right? Probably what he's saying with a little bit of scorn is Nazareth is not where the Messiah is supposed to come from. But Philip's response to his skeptical friend is what I love. He just says, look, come and see. Don't take my word for it. Go to the source. And so that's what this chapter is all about. It's all about seeing. You notice... John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then later he says to Andrew and this other disciple, Behold the Lamb. See, look, look, see. Right? And then their response after they have seen Jesus is to tell someone else, Come and see. Come and look. Come and investigate. See and behold in Greek is the same word. Right? And so the big idea for us as disciples is that as we see Jesus, you want others to see the same. And by see, I mean um, truly understand who he is and all of the, bless, all, all of the ways that his grace starts to, to go to work on our, our wants, our habits, our, our Jacob-like messes, right? And it's one of the, the signs of being a disciple. Your wants get changed, and one of your wants now is to want others to see and believe. You become a witness. Of, you're formed into a witness of Jesus. Right? John the Baptist is the first, and then it just spreads like a contagion. Right? Come, and, come and see this guy. Right? Now, Here's some good lessons from, from uh, Philip and Nathaniel. How would you respond to Nathaniel's question? Right, if this was a YouTube video. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right, just trashing Jesus' hometown. You know, in our day and age, I think what we would do is, you know, our, our friends might not have that same biblically informed question uh, with a little bit of scorn. Probably what they would say, right, you, you come to them and say, hey, I've, I've met Jesus and he's changed everything. Come and see. They're going to say, can anything good come out of church? Uh, can anything good come from a God that allows suffering, that's allowed me to go through this mess? Can anything good come from a bunch of hypocrites? Right? Can anything good come from a God who demands authority over my sexuality or my money or my politics? Can anything good come from a God who sends people to hell? Right? And, and I know what I want to do is, is, is show them, say, yeah, those are good questions. Let's talk about that and, and just debate them. Right? Let's, let me fix where you're, you're, what you see is wrong. What does Nathaniel do? Come and see. He brings 
He brings his friend to Jesus to go to the source. Right? And I, I think this is a really good pattern. It's not to say there isn't a place to have a conversation with a friend who's, who's wrestling with their objections or their, why they would be scandalized by, by Christianity. Right? We want to give a reason for the hope we have. But one of the best things you can do is to bring them to the person of Jesus and let, let them hear his voice. Because Jesus does answer those questions in his teaching over time, and especially through showing them the cross. Right? Come and see. Right? <clears throat> see, everybody, it'd be interesting if we had, if we had time, maybe we could do this at dinner, just ask, ask someone at lunch, how did you come to faith? Right? Who was the person who, witnessed, who, was, who was the witness that said, come and see to you? Because right? part of what being a disciple and, and inviting others to become disciples of Jesus is to recognize you can't do this alone. Right? Nathaniel needed someone else to point him out. Uh, Andrew was bringing people to Jesus that's all, that's all we know about Andrew. Andrew is the person who brings people to Jesus. He, he, brings, um, he brings Simon Peter. He brings the boy with five loaves of bread and the two fishes. Um, drive that backwards. Um, either way, the loaves and the fishes. <laughs> he brings the Greeks to Jesus in John chapter 12. Like All we know about Andrew is he lives in the shadow of his brother, but here is someone who is relentlessly known for bringing people to, to meet his king. He says, I can't fix this. Go, go talk to this guy, <laughs> the savior of the world. And so I, it's another healthy point to think about discipleship. The way to be a disciple is to, to be in relationship with other disciples of Jesus. And like Nathaniel, you need someone ahead of you spiritually who sees a little more of Jesus than you do. And like Philip, you need a friend who's a little bit behind that you can say, look at Jesus. You put those two patterns together and you have an ordinary church community. Um, disciples making disciples. Right? So that's a good question. Are, are you trying to do this discipleship thing alone? <laughs> or are you in community? Right? Do you... Do you have the confidence to say to someone, come and see Jesus, and to be able to explain the gospel in very simple terms? Right. I was speaking with a, a missionary this week from Equipping Leaders International. Uh, so for those who've been here a long time, it's the, the mission group that Stan Arms was with, teaching pastors overseas. Um, and so this missionary was saying, the average church-going Christian in the PCA has more Bible knowledge and good theology than 95% of pastors in the global church. Right, so just let that sink in. Right, our, our tradition is really good at saying, Jesus, where are you staying? Let me hang out with you. <laughs> let me learn from you. Right. But the global church, which... I, you look at the statistics, is exploding and growing uh, in much more rapid ways than we are. You know, we're trying to get a 
couple churches planted here. My buddy in India is trying to plant uh, presbyteries, like multiples, made up of 100 churches in the next three years, <laughs> right? And so the global church that has less biblical and theological knowledge, right? They are really good at come and see evangelism. He forgave my sin. This is the Lamb of God. Come and see. And so I think we can learn from each other. <laughs> right? it's, it's a challenge to say, what are you better at? And say, Lord, help me, help me, help me uh, become more balanced, so to speak. Like, you need a season of seeing Jesus and, and, and getting to know the scriptures and, and saying, what is the gospel? If you're going to give good news, you've got to know why it's good news. But then the question is, um, clearly you don't have to be an expert. Right? These guys had, had spent one day with Jesus. The question is, who are you planning and praying? Man, I wish you would see Jesus. Right? Is that even on your radar? Because right? discipleship includes both personal experience and then sharing that experience with others. Now, so lead us to the table. What will, you, what will they see if they come, like Nathaniel, to Jesus? Right? I've seen this question, right? There's all kinds of reasons people come. What do you want? The invitation is to come and, and hear and see Jesus' words directly. What are you going to see? What's the promise? What, what will happen? And, and so that's what Nathaniel does. He, he does come. He, and as he's walking up, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming and says, Look, here's an Israelite indeed. Uh, here is someone in, in whom there's no deceit, right? Jesus is, Jesus is kind of making a joke here. This is a play on words. Um, Jacob is the one in whom there's lots of deceit. He's the heel grabber who was named Israel. And Nathaniel is an Israelite. So Jesus is gently teasing, I think, or at least taking Nathaniel seriously because Nathaniel takes himself very seriously. Because right? Nathaniel says how it is. <laughs> Can anything good come from Nazareth? And so. Uh, Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I have no idea what that means in the sense of what, what exactly did Nathaniel hear Jesus say? Whatever it was, it was so private and so meaningful. Nathaniel immediately stopped and said, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. Right? You are the one I've been waiting for. Right? Here's Jesus praising Nathaniel. Right? No deceit. And he knew him. He saw him. He saw him through and through. And that just that moved Nathaniel to the to the depths. Here's one who sees me, knows me, and accepts me and praises me. Right? And Jesus goes, oh, hold on, you think that's amazing, right? You're going to see greater things than this. Uh, greater experiences of, of me are, on, are coming. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And here's Jesus making an astounding claim about himself, right? Come back to Jacob. Jacob's a mess. He's a trickster, he's a liar, he's a selfishly ambitious person who's 
clawing at the ladder to get up in his family. Right? But in Genesis 28, Jacob's fallen asleep by himself in the middle of the desert, and he has this dream, and he sees a ladder, which is probably much more like an ancient uh, temple with steps, like a ziggurat, um, not, not like a step ladder that you're throwing up on the side of your, the building to get the leaves out of your gutter. Right? Now, but what he sees is angels coming down and going up as if this is the intersection, this is the gate to heaven, this is, this is a place where heaven and earth intersect. And in verse 13 of, of Genesis 28, it says, uh, the Lord stood above him. But there's a little note in the Hebrew, because it, it can either mean above him or beside him. In other words, in Jacob's dream, and here's what I think is going on, um, it says the Lord is standing on the earth at the bottom of the ladder beside Jacob. Um, he's either at the top of the ladder or the bottom of the ladder. That's, that's the translation question. And in the context, especially in the way this works out in Jesus, I think it makes sense to see just a future glimpse of, of the incarnation. Here's God in some form that Jacob saw the Lord, Yahweh, on earth, on the ground, beside him. And that's where he's told, God says, hey, I'm for you now and you can't get rid of me. And by the way, you're not going to get rid of me until I bless you completely. And that blessing is going to spread to all the families of the earth. Right? And so, do you hear now what Jesus is saying about himself? If you come and see, what are you going to see? Right? He's the one who dispenses grace. He's the one who stands beside you. Jesus is Jacob's ladder, the intersection between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, you think it's amazing that I saw you. I'm the one who commands the angels, and you're going to see heaven's power coming through me to the earth. <laughs> right? Because he's, he's combining Genesis 28 and Daniel 7, right? The angels of God are going to ascend and descend on the Son of Man. And the Son of Man in Daniel 7 is this figure, this human-like figure that God gives all authority in heaven and on earth to. That he, he looks human, he's the son of Adam, but he does an awful lot of Yahweh-like things. And he's the one that, that God promises to give all things. And Jesus says, that's me. Right? In other words, Jesus says to us, I came down for you. I am, if you come to Jesus, the intersection of heaven and earth, he will say to you, I am unconditionally committed to you. Heaven's resources are mine, and you can get them through me. Right? Therefore, follow me. Right? This isn't the, the kind of person that you... Um, just hang out with occasionally. The Son of Man is this cosmic king who has all authority in heaven and on earth. As he's going to say later at the cross, I could call down legions of angels to defend me, but I don't. Right? And so what Jesus is saying to any disciple that would come to him, especially to us Jacob types who've been running up the down escalator, wearing yourself out, clawing, scheming, fighting to get what you want, 
One, the question is, how's that working out for you? (laughs) And two, do you see the opposite direction? We're trying to climb up, and the message of the table of the cross of Jesus is it's about heaven coming down to us. So that we then, as those filled with the Spirit of Jesus, might be that intersection of heaven and earth. And we can say to people filled with heaven's resources, come and see Jesus. God is with me. It's changed everything. All right, we're, we've been trying to climb up, and God humiliated himself to become human to give us all of his blessing, to forgive us our foolishness, to make us righteous as Jesus is righteous, to give us everything Jesus has. Right. So that's, that's our reflection this morning. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. We don't climb our way up into God's presence, but he descends down to us from heaven while we're asleep. Right. What are you doing when you're sleeping? Nothing, right? Resting. I mean, some of us wake up in pain like we've been running a marathon, but that's just us getting old. <laughs> no, if, you're, if you are asleep, all you can do is receive, right? And the story of the gospel is that we were asleep when God loved us spiritually. We were, we were dead. We weren't paying attention. We were, we were still enemies. We were still climbing the ladder, running up the down escalator saying, God, have do you see me? Do you love me? Have I done enough yet? And God says, you're, you're on the wrong ladder. I'm bringing the ladder down. Here is my son. Rest in him. Rest in the finished work of the cross. Right. Have you done that? See, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you're going to see patterns. And the pattern that we're going to see in Jesus over and over again is he's starting here right? Clouds of heaven, and he's coming down to be with us. Right? And the more you see that and coming down to, to give us grace, uh, the more we'll be in awe and wonder and, and we'll be willing to say to others, come and see. Come and see the grace you will, you will receive in Christ Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, as he says, truly, truly, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, we've, we've said a lot of things, right? What do you want? Uh, we're disciples who, as we want Jesus, part of our wants are to want others to want him. And then lastly, the promise is, right, God will be with you. And like Jacob, he says, I... I will never leave you nor forsake you until the end of the age. Come, come to Jacob's ladder, the one who's better than Jacob's ladder. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us as a church um, that as we take up our cross to follow, to follow you, uh, Lord, that we would not only have clear eyes to see Christ, our King, our Savior, the one who loved us even to death on a cross, um, but you would also give us eyes to see our neighbors um, who are like Jacob, <laughs> clawing, uh, deceiving, scheming, exhausting ourselves, running up the down escalator. 
So help us hear your words this morning as we come to the table. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, says Jesus. My burden is light, for I am lowly and gentle in heart. So may we experience you coming down to us as we eat of the good news of the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite the elders to come forward. I'll come down here in a minute.